0: We are in Exodus chapter 17, verse 13 now, Exodus 17, 13. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of, the, of it Jehovah Nissi. And he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have uh, war with Amalek from generation to generation. May the Lord raise blessing to the reading of his word. That means the Lord is our banner. His banner over us is love. His banner over the world is control, and his banner for Israel was provision in the midst of a battle. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, be with us as we think about this text tonight. May uh, you, your word find uh, lodging in all of our hearts. Our trust our hearts are prepared. I pray that you bless uh, those teaching downstairs. I pray that you help this service to be one that honors you. We want to worship you this evening, and may your word be preeminent. Ask these things in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Now, if you remember from the three testy trials the last two Sunday nights, that Israel had sort of bombed. If you want, they had really failed the test. They were grumbling and grousing and complaining about the time, about the water, about the no food, etc. cetera. However, when they get to here, they do exceptionally well. There's no whimper. They just perform courageously. By the way, to experience one trial after another is not unique to you. Perhaps you've had to like get out of the frying pan of the fire and then jump back in the frying pan. It's like, wow. It's like, but that's not unique. Israel has had this. Matter of fact, what did Job say? Man is born unto trouble as what? Sparks fly upward. And so it's going to happen. So we have to trust in the Lord, our banner. Number one, if you're jotting down notes, number one is the opposition in verse eight. We see that. And we see the people. Then came Amalek. Now, a quick Look at, we call it the Amalekites or Amalekites, however you want to pronounce it in your mind, that is fine. Now, they are the descendants of Esau. If you remember from Scripture, Jacob and Esau, Jacob connivingly got the birthright, but Esau gave away that birthright for a mess of pottage, a bad, bad plan on Esau's part. Matter of fact, he's the father, if you would. Uh, this Amalek is a grandson of Esau, G- Genesis 20, 36, 12, Genesis 36, 12. And Timnah was a concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bare to Eliphaz Amalek. Later, he's called a duke, but titles do not a character make. Descended from the man Esau, who gave such priority to the appetites of the flesh. Matter of fact, in Genesis 25, 34, it says that he despised his birthright. Now, why is that important? Because, see, Jesus is tied in to the despising of that birthright because Jacob, Sons of Jacob, Judah, and through that line of Judah comes the Messiah. So when he despised that, it was a very important thing. Now we know that that Jacob was used trickery. That's what Jacob's name meant before he became Israel. But Esau gave it up. He despised it. Interesting, the late pastor John Butler said, You will never fully understand the seriousness of Esau's evil and the despising of his birthright until you understand that Christ was involved in it. So it's appetites of the flesh, not appetites devoted to Christ. Their conduct, as recorded in Scripture, reflects the attitude of Esau, the Amalekites, Amalek, etc., they were ever opposed to the Israelites. They, they joined with forces later on with, against the Israelites. Gideon, 300 fights, a bunch of them. A Saul's day, there was Agag, the Amalekite, and he, remember, he didn't kill them all and got in trouble for that, not killing Agag. David and the Ziklag, it was the Amalekites that burned and took his family and took care of Ziklag. David fought them, and they weren't actually dealt with until the days of Hezekiah. So the Amalekites have left along, and actually another branch of them was even during the time of Esther. Do you remember who Haman was? He was a, I gagged him. He was a part of that branch of the Malachi family. So they have been against God. And they lacked the fear. In Deuteronomy 25, 18 says they feared not God. I tell you, when we don't fear God, we go our own way. We go. The wheels come off, if you would, morally and spiritually. When we don't fear God, he's the one controlling. We need to bow the knee to him. If you don't bow the knee to him, you will. Matter of fact, we saw before the flood a world that turned away from God and perhaps a billion people on earth at the flood, perhaps. Only eight. Only eight were trusted in Christ Jehovah enough to get on the ark. We find this, uh, and how they attacked, if you want to hold your finger in Exodus, a little bit later on in the Pentateuch 25, 17, we see this people attacking Israel in not a very good way at all. Matter of fact, it's almost like a terrorist activity. Remember what Amalek did unto thee, by the way, when you came forth out of Egypt, twenty-five, seventeen. how they met thee, by the way, and smote the Hindmost most of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. Now some would say, well, there was baggage back there, and they, that's why they attacked the hind part of it. They attacked it because that's where the, the weak and infirm were. What a uh, a lack of character not to fight the men of Israel. And God did not take very well to this, of his children being attacked by the Amalekites in this way the feeble, the weak, the weary. But isn't it always like Satan who comes along in our weak times that he attacks us? Matter of fact, at the end of 40 days of fasting and testing, that's we have those three big tests by Satan of Jesus. Turn the stone to bread, throw, jump off the, etc. Do those things. It seems like when we're sick or we have suffered the loss of a loved one or a job or other painful losses, or are discouraged or we're weary or we're spiritually weak. That's when Satan's like, whoa, here we go. Time to get that. Maybe we can get him to, to go a little further and just give up. And that's he taxed during those times. Often the most vulnerable, also when we've had a success. Well, I've got this thing licked. I will struggle with that anymore. And that's that's the time to beware. When we think we finally we finally gotten to a certain place that wow we we've succeeded and that no longer bothers us. But Satan is not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. But he can see how you're living. He can see what you're reading. He can see what you say out loud. He can hear those things through his minions, etc. And so he knows. Now, am I saying that that, that we're doing enough good here to the Satan's bothered with our church right now? I don't think so. <laughs> but you get busy for God and he gets there and then he gets Satan's attention and he'll start he'll start fighting those things. He does not want God's word to be to hold sway over people's lives. So the opposition, there's the people and then there's the place the fall of Israel in verse 8 at Rephidim, which simply means plural for rest. They've had some rests, and now they're not going to be so restful. The word then indicates that Amalekites were roamed the Sinai Peninsula. And it was the time of year where they would move their flocks from one place to another. One commentator says this. The attack upon the Israelites was made under circumstances at a time and place fully explained by what is known at the of the peninsula, the Sinai Peninsula. If you're looking at a map, I've got it in my mind. Egypt's here, there's that, the, across the sea, and the Sinai Peninsula looks like an upside-down arrowhead, and where Mount Horeb is, Mount Sinai, and that peninsula there is where the fighting is going to take place. It occurred two months. They've only left Egypt two months They've had trouble with time. They've had trouble with food. They've had trouble with water. And they've grumbled and groused. Now, only two months later, they're going to get into a real battle. And so that's the time frame. So as they approach Sinai, the people of Amalek did not like Israel coming in there. And so they're going to fight them. Now, three facts the Amalekites ignored. First of all, the pasture land was not just theirs. So it, it was everybody's to use, the Midianites, other people in the land. Secondly, there's enough for everybody. There's enough pasture land. It's like it's like if our one cat, the old cat gets on the couch, and there's a whole couch there to lay on. The young cat wants to get that cat off that very spot. I mean, you got a 1,000 places to lay. But he wants to be right there and jumps on him sometimes to get him to move and fight and all those different things. Why can't you well, just go like you've got three floors to pick? Just pick somewhere else to go. And so they don't. We find in the Amalekites there. There was enough, but we want that. It was God. Also, thirdly, God's will. God's will that Israel be there. So you just should leave them alone. You know, I pray every day that God would preserve Israel. That He would keep them. That we would stay on Israel's side. Not, not exactly that way every day, but I do pray for Israel, the peace of Jerusalem, and that we need to stay on Israel's side. Clearly, the Amalekites did not. And we don't even have, there's not even any archaeological digs to find information on the Amalekites. This then also might include the idea that they were prepared for battle. If you look back to our text in 13 now, Exodus 13, let's look back there for just a moment. They first left Egypt. Interesting what is said of them in 1317 of our text. Exodus 1317. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was yet near, or near. For God said, "Lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt." They weren't ready to fight. They're just leaving. They're not ready to fight. And so God says, "Let's take the long way." But if we don't, if we take the short way, they may get just run back to Egypt. No, we're not going to do that. So God has all mind. The first few months, I don't think that Israel was simply playing checkers or hopscotch or whatever they would play back then uh, on the way. I think Moses was training them. I think Moses was getting the people ready to battle, and he was using Joshua. And so when time comes, Joshua's ready, the troops are ready, etc. They not experience any battle, but I would not say that they were untrained. Even Abraham had 318 servants that he trained. So training people ahead of time was not something totally foreign. I know that's several hundred years earlier, but something foreign. They were ready to go. Opposition. Then there's operation starting in verse 9, and we see the legion. And Moses said unto Joshua, choose this out men, and go out and fight with Amalek. We would say, I want to, it's like uh, if you're picking for uh, for example, my boss, uh, left, my boss is leaving. So they picked out a new person and this person is extremely well qualified. So they picked that person, uh, who has had a lot of experience in being a CFO. I've had no experience being a CFO. So there we go. I had applied for the job, but it really wasn't, I really want to go back to, I really want to teach the seniors. If I had gotten this new job, my classes for seniors, computer classes would have gone by the wayside. So the Lord knows what I need. If you were to pick a general out of all of the Israelite people who was qualified, it was Joshua. He was spiritually qualified. I think he was militarily qualified. his character was good, his military school, military school or skill, sorry, was excellent. This is the first mention of Joshua. But while he's sitting in obscurity, he was not doing nothing. He may not have been heard about, but he was not like, hmm, I wonder what I'm going to do today. He's twiddling his thumbs. He wasn't, tw- I don't think they even twiddled thumbs back then. Perhaps they, I don't know, twiddled sticks. I don't know. This name Joshua is significant. It means Jehovah is salvation or saved or the Savior. Matter of fact, we come to the New Testament and it's rendered as Jesus. The transliteration of the Hebrew Joshua is the Greek Jesus or English Jesus. Choose us out. The word there, that's really a command to, to be keen, to be careful, to, with care, pick the soldiers. The first war is fought with draftees. Now, I don't know how he chose them. Perhaps they had, been, maybe there's a class they had to fill out, or a class they had to finish, and you've finished all six lessons, you're going to be fighting. But I don't know if it had to be a certain age, a certain size, I do not know. The word men there means in contrast, more than just contrast to females, it was a man, a manliness, man, man's man, if you would, a sense of courage and soldiership. By the way, the the military is no place for the timid and weak we have had in our own society. We've had such a disparity or disparaging of male leadership. We have this, it's just, uh, the culture's prevailed with that. We need men, though, who will lead their homes. The number one thing, men, you need to do, pastor, is lead your home right. So go the homes, so go the churches, so go the country. You want these things, it's, it's a trickle-down effect. You just take, oh, it won't be that it's, it's, it won't be that important to make that law. Yes, it will be. Because when you diverge from God's plan for a society, you're just signing your own ticket for failure. Have we not learned from history? Those who do not learn are doomed to repeat it, it seems. So they, they're leaving their homes. Now, I'm not saying they should leave... There should not be any kind of mistreatment, but we need men who will stand up and be men. Take care of our, we are also, by the way, we should take care of our spiritual life. When the time came, Joshua was ready. We needed General Joshua, and I think you're the one that God would have to do it. So are you ready? Yes, sir. I am ready. Because he had been prepared. When God calls, we need to be ready for service. What's God calling us to do? To pray, to give, to go, to witness to whatever he has called us to do, to be prepared. Well, I just don't, you know, I I, want to go, I want to, I got to go fishing. Uh, Friday morning, there's a pond behind where I work. Did not know about it until Thursday. I went, or Wednesday, got permission Thursday to go. Friday, I thought it was going to be an exciting time. And it's pretty far over the hill, so I venture through all the brambles and briars and get down there. And it's, it's really shallow. Didn't see a fish. And then I didn't even see a fish, and then I didn't get a bite. So here I am just like trying to throw my, <clears throat> throw my, and one time my top of my rod came off there. Like my, my son loves that when I throw my rod in the water, top of my rod. So it's like, it wasn't a grandiose fishing experience, but that night I was so wanting to get prepared and get my everything, get my line, et cetera, all that ready because I was going to go fishing. First time I fished in probably two years. So I want to go fishing. We need to be ready excited about it. perhaps God tomorrow this week has an opening for you to to tell what God has done for you to someone you've met we need to be ready Joshua was ready and notice by the way Joshua did not grumble now Moses, don't you think so-and-so would do better don't you think her would be a better? no he's like, yes, sir, I'll do it. Joshua is to be commended all the way through scripture verse nine and, and Moses said and Joshua choose us out man, and go out." Fight with Amalek. Go out, fight. Now, remember at the sea, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I'm going to do a great work. Here is go fight. Sometimes He wants us to sit, do our part, and let Him do the rest. Sometimes it's, you know part of the, the answer is going to be you doing this and, and put shoe leather to your prayers. Like, well, Lord, I think I, I want you to do this. I want I want this. To, the Lord wants us to do our part. He does. What a contrast to that. Stand still. Now go out and fight. Saul, you remember King Saul, I mentioned earlier, Agag, the Amalekite, he was too soft on that sin, and Agag lived. Samuel, remember what Samuel did when he came along? He just divided him in pieces. That's what Samuel did. This is what God told you to do. Why? That's because sin, we, 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 sometimes we, instead of doing damage to sin, we coddle it. We, we, we think, I can get away with it. Or it's not that big a problem. And we don't deal with sin. And if, if I have a problem with pornography, if I had that problem, it would not be totally to put the computer out, take off my cable TV, get a phone that has no access to that. You say, but pastor, that's, that's a little excessive. Well, how excessive is sin? You want to to get, if you say, well, I want to get right with, there's some big things you might need to do to show that you are interested in getting right with God. Or help, I have a safety feature on my phone. So it keeps me from, if I would ever go to a site, I shouldn't. My wife would go and give me to get an email. There we go. It's just a safety, we have to be serious about it. Well, they go, no, it's not just that, we need to do. So there's a legion, the operation also involved Leaders. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. After giving, after Moses gave the orders to Joshua, he said, "Now what I'm going to do? I'm going to go up the top of the hill and watch and stand and hold up the rod of God." We think, "Oh man, that's the easy job." No, it wasn't. That was the job that's talked about most. That is the job that he he with the burdens. And the bearing the burdens and praying and talking to God and holding up the rod and can't you imagine this? Well, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. Isn't the spiritual battle a lot greater than people give credit to it? It is. Swords and spirits, can you imagine the soldiers? Wow, Moses, you know, if he got a sword or or spear or a slingshot or something, or axes, or horses, or bows and arrows, or something, but he's just gonna stand up there on on the top of the hill with Aaron and her. What are they doing? How's that gonna help? It's gonna help immensely. It's going to help immensely. Christians, we must face the same test. The world, which can only reason with a natural mind, thinks believing the Bible is strange. When you tell someone, I believe in biblical creation. Well, what is that, first of all? And you really believe that evolution is not right? Yes! Evolution remains a theory to this day. T-H-E-O-R-Y. And yet, you would think it's been proven billions of times, the way people believe it. It's still a theory. It's not true. You know, I have a theory that my cat will obey what I say when I get home. That's just a theory. It's not a bit more true than a man in the moon. He's going to do what he wants to do. So it's an it's, it's unproven theory. I can tell you it's just a theory, and it can be proved false as soon as I get home. But people today, well, you believe in the Bible, and we, we're, we're labeled homophobes, we're labeled all these different things, and disparaging words. Isn't it interesting how that you and I have held to God's truths the same as we did forty years ago, and yet now we somehow we've slipped into the the far right wing of the far right, and we are just we're we're more dangerous to society than than you know we are, and yet we're the very ones who's praying. Are you not praying that God would cause our nation to repent? We're the ones beseeching God in wrath. Remember mercy. Yet yet, the world is, as a general whole just keeps going, trumping all along. And we're, we're making progress. We're just really progressing. No, we are digressing is what we are doing. Digressing. Moses stands on the hill holding up the rod while Joshua's out directing the battle. Moses's duty was just as important as Joshua's. A matter of fact, we have more information on Moses holding up the rod than we do on Joshua fighting the battle. Divine responsibility, hum- Divine sovereignty, human responsibility. God will superintend and He will oversee, but He also asks us to do what He we should do. He He will not do for us what we can do for ourselves. Lazarus was raised, but they had to untie him, move move the stone. Here he comes. Now get rid of his clothes. You know, we, He did the healing, He did the raising, but they did the unwinding of Lazarus, lifting up the hands. How, how and to, that's a symbol of of uh, uh, work talking with God we might say hear the voice in Psalm 28 of my supplications when I cry unto thee when I lift up my hands toward the holy oracle First Timothy I will therefore that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting there's effort in prayer true, true praying is hard work Moses' hands and arms got tired obviously can you imagine now trying to hold up your hands and arms hours on end one of them going to have a rod in you say, oh, that shouldn't be, it's hard. You work over here, you start, you start trying to paint the ceiling or putting or stamping something on the ceiling. You keep your hands up for a long time. And those who, I don't know how they do it. The men that gave, I've also got a lot of muscle in their arms to do that, it's difficult. Prayer is difficult. It was F.B. Meyer who said, prayer is labor. Without doubt, prayer of the right kind means strenuous and exhausting labor. It is the most exhausting exercise that the soul can possibly sustain. Matthew Henry of the sixteen hundred said, We do not find that Joshua's hands were heavy in fighting, but Moses's were heavy in praying. The more spiritual any service is, the more apt we are to fail. Praying work, if done with the due intenseness of mind and vigor of affection, will be found hard work. And though the spirit be willing, the flesh will be weak. You pray every day. Is it something you have set? It's, it's well, sometimes you don't, well, I've got so much to do, I don't, I, can't, I don't have time to pray. No, if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. If you're too busy for God. You are too busy. Interesting, J. Orr of the, of the Pulpit Commentary said, is in view of the battle that it's this intercession of Moses is carried on. He says, Prayer needs to be fed by knowledge, by watchful interest of events as they shape themselves around us, by the study of the special needs of the circumstances of the times. In other words, when you tell me something about you want me to pray for, I thank you for that. That way I know more specifically how to pray. Pray that Mr. Dickens' truck got fixed this, this afternoon. Did it get fixed? Praise the Lord. Answered a prayer. Got the new the, the thing put back on. So when you tell me something to pray for, and I say I'm gonna pray for it, I'm praying for it right then. I'll pray for you right now. And then when I pray tomorrow morning, help Mr. Dickens as he goes on this. If he arrives tomorrow, help his, if he's on the road tomorrow. Thank you, Lord, for fixing his truck. And then we go, whoever, and praise the Lord. And thank you that Dave feels so much better this, this Sunday than last Sunday. And so, you see what I'm saying? You and I need to be engaged in people's lives so that we know how to pray for them. I'm not saying you tell things you shouldn't. I'm not saying you think, tell embarrassing things. I'm not saying you have to air your dirty laundry. By the way, can you imagine how, and yesterday, probably your parents... Did not, I remember my mom did not have a dryer for a long time. She had a ringer washer. And she used a ringer washer. You're shaking your heads. You know what I'm talking about. A ringer washer. And she would carry those clothes up the steps outside and hang them on the line. With the, you remember the clothes line for the younger? That's a line that you put clothes on. Okay. And then uh, most of us are shaking your heads. Today, I thank the Lord just this week. I can get in there. And it takes me all of about one minute. Get them out of the hole where you hear me cropping them. Wow, just think you don't have to go outside and hang them up. You don't have to stand there and, and it goes through there and squeezes the water out and flops over in there. And you take those up. You don't have to do all that. Just and go off and do your things for an hour and come back. Set your timer on your smartphone. It reminds you when to go back. We just take these things for granted. We need to be involved in people's lives in a good way if they ask you to pray. Do not say, I'm praying for you if you're not going to pray. Don't say it. And if you say, I'll be praying about that, you need to pray about it. Be be honest with them. Okay. So when I ask somebody to pray, and they say, I'll be praying about it, I'm figuring they're going to pray. The same should be said of me. If you say, and somebody will text, I think even this week, I'll stop right now and pray. And that's what we should be doing now. Interesting, Butler says again, When we slack off in prayer, we can be defeated. Meyer said, prayer makes all the difference in our fight against principalities and powers. We ought to be people of prayer. We really are. So that's the opposition. There's the operation. Then there's the obligation. And verse 11, it came to pass when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. And there's the divine power. And so the obligation was Moses had to hold up his staff so that the Israelites would win. So Israel was trained for battle, the Amalekites were the number one henchmen in that area. They were the Isis of that Sinai Peninsula. They were at that time the most powerful race in all the peninsula. So when Israel starts out like that, they are going against the top dog, if you would, the meanest bunch of people in the area. The method, hold up my hand, help of his hands. The men, twelve. The Moses' hands were heavy, him on a stone put it under him and he sat there on and, Mo- and Aaron and her stayed his hands. Now this is the first time we mention or see this her in all the scripture. There are three H-U-R's in the Bible. The first, one, listen is the first one. There's also one in Nehemiah during Nehemiah's time. There's also a Midianite uh, chief in Numbers 31. This Hur now some tradition says it was either the husband of or daughter of Miriam. Butler says neither of those are true. But he was a man used by God Later on in chapter 32 of this same book, we have a problem with, the, remember Moses on the mount? Aaron and her, while he's away. Oh, oh, we we, we got to worship something. Let's throw the gold into the fire. And, out. and so there's problems later on. But here he does well. And there also is, Judah Ben-Hur from the movie Ben-Hur, nothing to do, not based upon the Bible. So those are the Ben-Hurs you might, or Hurs you have heard about, no pun intended there. And finding that Moses, though, hands were heavy, and Aaron and Hur stayed his hands. They were there to help him accomplish his God-given task. That's a rare breed today, people who will just come alongside, and, and I know some of you are those very kind of people who come alongside, and whatever you can do to help the ministry here, praise the Lord, almost, almost all of you are willing to do that. Interestingly, in 1989, a man named Mike Wellman, a paraplegic, had climbed the strict face of El Capitan and Yosemite National Park. It's a very strenuous climb. And the uh, paper, it was just called the Fresno Bee, published the day he came back, and he was. His helper, the man who facilitated Mike Corbett, was carrying Mr. Mr. the paraplegic around. He and the other guy, I guess, were carrying him around. And the, the article said, paraplegic and partner prove no wall is too high to climb. But what was not said is that Mike Corbett had to climb up and down three times so that he could climb it the once. He was a person who just, behind the scenes, this is Aaron and Hurt, behind the scenes, keeping Moses' hands up so Israel... Won the day. Actually, God won the day as they were obedient. So there's the opposition, the operation, the obligation, and finally there's the overpowering. There is the rending in 13, and Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Israel again gained the victory over Amalek at Rephidim. Rephidim was, was going to be a bright spot for Israel because of the blessings there. It was a decisive victory. The edge of the sword means a great slaughter of the enemy, if you would. And though there was a decisive victory, it was not the final one. Amalek comes back again and again in history. But this was a bad choice for Amalek because God remembers from generation to generation their name is going to eventually be blotted out. That was the rending. There's the results in 14. And the Lord said to Moses, write for a memorial in a book. This is the first time writing is mentioned in Scripture. And in the Hebrew, that it also carries the idea of a, a definite article, write it in the book. If you know from history, Moses was used by God to write the book of Genesis. He was not there. But there's a nine different, this is the generation of, there's nine different books in Genesis that God allowed Moses to have that God took and he superintended Moses' thoughts. The Holy Spirit gave Moses a thought. But he used these books to write Genesis. He's like 14, 1500 B.C., Garden of Eden, 4004 B.C. So there's been a long time, but God used these books that they had collected. And so we find here, write it in the book. Rehearse this. This is like this is like the family Bible, if you want to call it that. Write it here that we remember. Rehearse means to put. So to put in the ears of Joshua, a graphic way of saying to Joshua, needed to be put this in the mind and memory, these great truths. Remember, Joshua's going to be the leader here uh, at the end of the 40 years. For I will utterly put out the remembrance. God's upset with Amalekites. As a result, God promises the annihilation of them. It is interesting. I would call this an act of terrorism for the most part. I would call it that. Benjamin Netanyahu said these words when he was speaking before U.S. Congress, quoting now regarding terrorism. Netanyahu, who was at that time the prime minister of Israel, terrorism is a crime against humanity. We must consider the terrorist enemies of mankind to be given no quarter and no consideration for their propitiated grievances. If we believe to distinguish between acts of terror, justifying some and repudiating others based on sympathy, based on this and that cause, we will lose the moral clarity that is so essential for victory. The clarity is what enabled America and Britain to root out piracy in the 19th century. The same clarity enabled the allies to root out the Nazism of the 20th century. They did not look for the root cause of piracy or the root cause of Nazism because they knew that some acts are evil in and of them themselves And do not deserve any consideration or understanding. They did not ask whether Hitler was right about the alleged wrong done to Germany at Versailles. That they left to historians. For the leaders of the Western alliance, nothing justified Nazism, nothing. We must be equally clear-cut today. Nothing justifies terrorism, nothing. Terrorism is defined neither by identity of its perpetrators nor by the case to espouse. Rather, it is defined by the nature of the act Terrorism is the deliberate attack on innocent civilians. And end of quote. That is what I believe we have here when the Amalekites attacked the young and the enfeebled and the infirm. They didn't have the, I don't know what laws they are, the Geneva Convention laws about attacking wounded people, etc. They did not care. That's what made God so upset with them, attacking his people. Therefore, it shall be said in Deuteronomy 25, 19, When the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about, and the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, but thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heavens, thou shalt not forget it. Amen. Hezekiah, during the days of Hezekiah there finally were smote the rest of the Malachites that were escaped and dwelt there unto this day. First Chronicles 4, 43. I have one more O. The fifth O is obedience, and that is verse 15, the altar. If you would please, verse 15, the altar. 15 of our text. We're back over to Exodus chapter 17, verse 15 and 16. As we close up, Exodus 17, 15 says for us here, and Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. Now, I'm not sure Nissi is right. It could be Nisai, It could be different things. That's the easiest way to pronounce it. The new name is Jehovah our banner. The strife between Amalek is a banner Christ. Is our banner? God is our banner. That is the idea. Jehovah, our banner—an inspiring name to inspire Israel. Now we have a banners today. We usually have them a flag and a banner bearer will carry on a flagpole, etc. In that era, it was more like a a, a a pole with a bright metal object on top, if you would. It means a rallying point. They're very important for warfare. They inspire others. They identify who was on whose side. Interestingly enough, I was reading this week that when Queen Elizabeth was alive, I guess now it's King Charles is now, that she has three royal residences and two private homes. And if you want to know where the queen was, her flag was flying over where she was. That's how you knew where the queen was. In the same way, Moses built an altar and names it Jehovah Nissi so that we all will know the king was in residence. I wonder this week is my flag going to be flying over my life? The king is in residence, or we're going to be like, whoa, are you really a really Christian? You don't, you're not really acting like that. Is Are we going, Is our banner clear? There's a royal banner given for display to the soldiers of the king. The songwriter said, "How's your banner flying for Christ?" A story is told during I think it's World War uh, Civil War but one of the, 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 the flag bearer got really far ahead of the troops and the soldiers hollered back to the officer in charge tell the flag bearer to come back some and the officer says no you need to go up where the flag bearer is that's the that's the ticket professing Christianity we don't need to slip back and compromise we need to go up to where the standard is and the standard is God's holy word that is how we need to be living our lives by the altar and amalek in 16 for because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation, they had aligned themselves with the world. And do you remember Genesis 12, 3? And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. The first Israelite, at Abraham, I think God still carries, I'm pretty sure God still carries that through. Matter of fact, I'm pretty, very sure. I will bless them that bless thee. How are we doing for the cause of Christ? Are we bearing our banner? The story is told in poetic form about Stonewall Jackson going through a little town in the south. I'm not sure who the writer was, but listen to these words. Up rose old Barbara Fritchie then, bowed with threescore years and ten. Bravest of all in Fredericktown, she took up the flag that the men hauled down. In her little window the staff was set to show that one heart was loyal yet. Up the street came the soldiers' tread, Stonewall Jackson riding ahead. Under his slouched hat, left and right, he looked. The old flag met his sight. Halt! The nut brown ranks stood fast. Fire! Out broke the rifle blast. It broke the window with many a gash. It severed the banner in seam and sash. But quick as it fell from its broken staff, Dame Barbara snatched the silken scarf. She leaned far out the window sill and shook it forth with a royal will. Shoot, if you will, my old gray head, but spare my country's flag, she said. And Stonewall Jackson is reputed to have said these words Who touches a hair on the old gray head dies like a dog. March on, he said. March on. Shall any of us who name the name of Christ fail to wave the banner of our Savior? This week, I trust not. It's a rallying point. Let us pray, Lord. We thank you for the banner of the cross. Moses and Aaron and Her, through your, in their intervention, through your grace, through your mercy, they, you gave them the victory. Joshua, the people of Israel, against a very formidable foe. Lord, you want to give us the victory, but we will not have victory when we go out unprepared when we go out with not having the the armor on, when we go out on our own, Lord, please live your life through me. Live your life through each of us who name your name that the world will see in us something that is reflective of you. That they will say, what is it different about you? And to give us opportunity to share your good news. Lord, if our banner's gotten soiled, if we've taken our banner down and become so like the world, may Lord be, be convicted and fly our flag of your righteousness for others to see and ask these things in jesus name i pray amen